the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into our third hour on your way home. It's a delight to do so, as we usually do on Monday afternoons, with the great Brandon Weikert. He is the author of several books, including Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. He is the author of The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. He is the author of Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He is a senior editor at 1945.com. Among other things, Brandon, happy Monday afternoon. How are you, sir? I'm all right. How are you? I'm fine. It's National Cheeseburger Day. I don't know if that moves you in any certain directions or not. Well, ironically, we I made the kids uh, cheeseburgers for dinner tonight on the grill. There you go. In honor of the day, or was this just the... Huh? I didn't know it was a National Cheeseburger oh, yeah, Day. Okay. I just yeah, there you had go. a bunch of beef flying around, and I said, let's whip it up before it goes bad. Well, there you go. Now you can retroactively <laughs> tell them that, that was because it was, a, it, was a, it was due to the national holiday um, that I don't think anyone took any time off for, but there you have no. it. All right. There's so much I want to talk to you about. I, I want to talk to you about Iran. I want to talk to you about the $6 billion. I want to talk to you about Donald Trump's interview on Meet the Press. I want to talk to you about oh. a missing F-35. I want to talk to you about a terrible colligation of events um, in uh, the new global threat against the West based on a National Review column. Where would you like to start? You tell me, and I'll tee it up for you. What do you want to pick? Um, it's, well, I guess we can start domestic first, okay. if you want, sure. and then move out to foreign. Sure, sure. Let's start domestic. So Donald Hello? Trump's Meet the Press interview. I'll tell you what I think. Okay. I think that Kristen Welker was awful and did a nasty job where she didn't air the whole interview, and then she tried to fact-check him off when he was off camera as they went to every break. And I have to tell you, I don't think Donald Trump was very good on a couple of layups, particularly on abortion policy. And then thirdly, I don't think any of it will matter. That's what I think. Um, I think the third point, you're right. I think Kristen Welker has proven herself to be a degenerate liar. Yep. Um, I, Molly Hemingway has yep. a phenomenal piece in The yep. Federalist yep. Uh, that everybody should take the time to read because yep. it is fact-checking the fact-checker. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Let me let me explain to the audience. I was talking about this earlier, but just for the audience's sake, this has become a media mantra and a Jen Psaki mantra that Democrats yeah. don't oppose bans on late term abortions. Right. And it's just manifestly untrue. We have video yeah. after video after video of every candidate that ran last year, including the debate that took place in the Senate earlier this year, where Democrats yeah. will not absolutely well, will not, with the exception of Joe Manchin, will not commit to right. any time uh, in gestation, gestation that they would put a limit on abortion. That's what we're talking right. about. Right, and the only reason Joe Manchin does is because his, his his Senate career is hanging right. by a thread because right. he's in a red state. Right. Um, right. But, but go back to 2004. Right. Go back to 2008. Right. 2004, John uh, John Kerry, who, by the way, served in Vietnam, right. was, um, you know, t- touting his, his very progressive views on abortion. Right. This was one of his big hits against George W. Bush. That's right. 
Uh, go back to 2008. Barack Obama was proud of having voted present during Illinois State Senate session where they voted to allow for afterbirth abortions. Yep. There was they, Rush Limbaugh, I believe, or Sean Hannity at the time interviewed a nurse who was working at Planned Parenthood. I, I, I have interviewed that nurse. This? I have interviewed yes. that nurse. Yes, yes. Okay, so you know, this goes back even further. Yep. This is um, child sacrifice on the altar of political correctness and, uh, you know, liberal socioeconomic policy. That's all that this is. And the Democrats are inveterate liars when they say that, you know, Jen Psaki, I, I, I cringe when I see her yep. because she's such a liar. Yep. Having said that, though, Donald Trump. He could have made that point. Having said that, he could have made oh, that yeah. point. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> I'm doing the old, the old Larry David, you know, having said that, yeah. I'm going to negate what I just yeah. said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well done. But, you know, having said all that, Donald Trump, there was such a a rich like vista that he could have picked yeah, from yeah. to attack this imbecile Kristen yeah. Welker on and instead he decided to accept the question on the merits yeah. and he decided to then uh basically spend five minutes in the interview last night i watched it it was yep. awful I, it was well, awful. Uh, basically negotiating with her yep. about when it would be acceptable to yep. murder a baby right Obviously, nine months is too much. Right. Just but too six much is too said. early. Right. In yeah. five weeks, though, is too early. Yeah, right. It's got to be months. just – he's doing his best King Solomon yeah. routine. He's going to yeah. split the baby right down the middle. Yeah. And I got to tell you, um, I, if, if that is and, – and he made it clear because she actually, in her defense, she gave him at least yep. three different yep. outs yep. where he could have been like, well, let me clarify. Yep. yep. But he kept doubling down. Right. And right. so, and he said that he sees himself as a mediator, yeah. and he's going to. Yeah, you. There is no. I mean, how perverse! What kind of a perverse mind would sit there and try to negotiate away the life of an unborn child? How can any Republican candidate for president, a serious one at that, believe that it is acceptable in any case to negotiate away an innocent child's life? I don't that understand how he can say the states will work it out and then condemn a heartbeat bill. He might say the nation's not ready for it, but Florida was, or something like that. He might but say you know in what? certain states, but he that, just he doesn't what, think though, through these is, things. He is so invested in his own ego. This is all about owning DeSantis. Yeah. And that, to me, is a very dangerous mind yep. because that means that the man has no real beliefs. And I know your audience doesn't want to hear this. I say this. As somebody, I remind your audience, I was a very early and avowed Trump supporter when Andy McCarthy and Victor Davis Hanson and all these guys were very much opposed to him in 2015. I signed the letter supporting Trump. But I got to tell you, from the last four years, from COVID all the way to now this abortion thing, I am disgusted. I think that, that letter originated in Phoenix, Arizona, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it did. Yeah. Yes, it did. I yeah. think some mutual friends of ours yes. had a hand in that. Yes. Well, well including well me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Including this friend. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's what I was saying. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. But, um, but my point is, is that, you know, I say this as somebody who was one of the conductors on the Trump train mm-hmm. before all the people. No, you were. No, that's right. And that's hijacked right. it. That's right. Um, and, uh, you know, it, this is a guy who's clearly. I used to say he's transactional on foreign policy, and that's great. But it's clear that he's transactional on everything. Yeah. 
And I was talking to um, uh, Dr. Caputo, one of his former uh, health and human ser- services oh, people. Oh, Michael we were Caputo, going back I think, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, we were going back and forth politely on Twitter. Yeah. And, you know, he was talking about the glories of incrementalism. And I shot back, and you could see the exchange. I said, honestly, if if there there's no difference on this issue between the Republican and the Democrat, I'm not even going to bother to vote. Because this issue, to me— transcends national security, transcends economic policy, because it's a question of how we protect and and treat the most vulnerable and innocent group among our citizenry, which is the unborn. And if we have a president, a Republican especially, who thinks, well, killing them up until the, the second trimester is okay, that to me is disqualifying. I don't even want to hear from you. I was already sort of hesitant. I was already leaning to Santos, but now I'm just disgusted because guess what? Ron DeSantis has a long track record of not only being MAGA policies in every way, but plus he is an unapologetic pro-lifer. In Florida, he unapologetically passed the five-week ban, and in fact, I wanted him to go even further and do a total ban. But you know, but to me, like this is this is just a a a baseline issue. And if the Republican frontrunner can't get his act together and say, this, at the very least, just say, I left it up to the states. That's where it should be. At the very least, he didn't even say that. He attacked the heartbeat bill. He attacked DeSantis for being too too, uh, too early in the pregnancy. What does that even mean? And he this wouldn't commit to whether he would I mean, sign it, and he would not answer the question as to whether he'd sign federal legislation or not. The only thing he said was that the six-week ban, or is it five weeks? I thought it was said. Five six, weeks. Okay, five that weeks the ban in Florida, that's the only thing he said was the fetal heartbeat bill was a terrible thing. That's all, that's that's the last, well, first and the, last thing he committed to on that. This yeah. is on top of three months ago, he was attacking DeSantis for doing the Disney uh-huh. fight. Yep. He was, then him and Don Jr. were making fun of Republicans for doing the Bud Light ban right. and the protests on Bud Light. I mean, this guy is really, he's hes really going poofy. Well, it raises and then an. calling it, Biden and Obama, so he's having his own senile moment. Well, it, it raises an interesting question, which I want to pick up with you on the other side of this break, if I can. I was talking with Absolutely. some people this morning, and it's a question of. Um, Donald Trump perhaps thinking he's now running in a general election, A, get your take on that, but B, you know, knowing he doesn't have a second, or excuse me, doesn't have another term to run for after this one, he doesn't have a, you know, this will be a second term, he doesn't have to say things that please constituencies necessarily, and he can redound to his own core set of beliefs which may actually just not be culturally conservative. They may not be. Uh, He did it in the first term. He did it very well. I want to say that very clearly. But that may not be who he actually is when you remove the political considerations. You and I will come back on that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon Weikert is my guest, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. We the Brandon is his uh, X or Twitter or Twix handle, as we call it around here. <laughs> you like that? We're calling it Twix. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's kind of a blending of the. Um, let me give you the syllogism this way and see what you think and take it apart as you as you feel free to. Uh, Donald Trump is so far ahead in the primaries. It doesn't seem anything is going to change that. 
Uh, so he sees himself as running as a general election candidate right now, not really needing to say things that please the conservative primary voters for the reasons that he seems to think he already has the primary won and that, you know, his base doesn't really care that much about the specifics you and I were talking about. They love him regardless and without having a future term to worry about, he doesn't have to say things that please certain constituencies. He can just be who he is, untethered and unmoored to constituency demands. That's the syllogism. It's a thought. Well, I don't that know. would be that. That would be the best case scenario. But when has he ever tethered his his behavior to political realities? I mean, to be fair to him, 2016 was the definition of running against the political winds and. You know, by being himself. Mm-hmm. Remember, he kept kept saying, "I'll be presidential later." Yeah. You know. Yeah. He, I mean, so he. I always got the sense. The one thing I liked about him in 2016, I really always an enduring thing that I liked is that what you see is what you get. Yeah. But yeah. now it feels like maybe he was pulling the wool over. Maybe he was, you know, typical realtor selling the dream. And uh, you know, yeah, he put these guys and and Coney Barrett, uh, the the one woman on the, uh, the the Supreme Court, and they're all culturally conservative, particularly Barrett. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is, um, was that really him, or was that his contacts within the Federalist Society that were pushing him? And can he be relied on? Can he be relied on to continue to do those sorts of moves if he were to re- be reelected as president again, which I don't think he's going to be, because I think he's going to get kneecapped with these 91 felonies. Um, but, you know, he might get the nominee and then get kneecapped that way. But the point is, is if he is able somehow to get back into the White House, um, you know, that interview with Kristen Welker was very illuminating, I thought, because you might be right. Maybe he thinks it doesn't matter anymore. He can do whatever he wants. That's scary, because whatever he yeah. wants is clearly not what our movement demands, right. which is a baseline respect for life. Right. And as for the when you said his base, I'm assuming you're referring to the, the specific MAGA. Yeah. yeah well, okay. well, well, yeah, exactly. just yeah, conservative voters that support him. Yeah, right. Sure. Well, yeah, but there is like a, there's a divide there between conservatives as well. And then you've got like the MAGA voter who are not always conservative. There's sometimes those Reagan Democrats uh, who compose that 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 MAGA coalition. But then if they are unwilling to even listen to what he says, but rather will just follow him because he wa- it's him. That's scary in and of itself, and that creates a whole new set of problems for our dying republic. Um, and so, you know, I don't. I hope it's just a case of him just trying to. But it's bad politics because he hasn't won the primary yet. There's no, a long. There's a true. long time. And by the way, he's not doing as well. And this is internally. His people know that it is very tight. It is much tighter in Iowa, for example, than he's letting on Mm. publicly. Mm. And it's actually tightening up in New Hampshire and South Carolina, which are the three first primary states. And I think I've said for months, I actually think DeSantis is going to win Iowa. I'm not sure about New Hampshire, but I also think DeSantis is very, very competitive in South Carolina. Certainly Nikki Haley and Tim Scott are as well because they're from there, which means that Trump is not a shoe in for those three early primary states. All these polls are just sort of wishy-washy, uh, you know, theoreticals. Let's see when the vote gets there. The votes don't start till mid-January. So Trump putting his foot in his mouth like this and looking completely, you know, ridiculous, um, you know, he could alienate a lot of people. He needs to keep not just the MAGA voters, but he's got to keep that other conservative base of religious conservatives. He's got to keep the social cons. He's got to keep some of the more defense-minded guys. 
and he's really on the bubble right now. And this this interview was a – I don't know who thought it was a good idea to have him do that, but it was a disaster last night. Well, whenever he talks with the mainstream media, it always – and right. he does this with the New York Times – what's her name, Maggie Haberman? Haberman. A lot. Haberman. Haberman. Right. He does this with her a lot. And, he and ke- Swan. Yeah, he keeps giving them interviews. Right, and Swan over at, what, Politico? Is he Axios or Politico? I don't know where Axios Yeah, or one, one of the know. two. Yeah. Right, he keeps doing that with them. There aren't enough conservative talk show hosts and outlets right. that would like to interview him and be, you know, friendly. But, you know, and then he blasts them afterwards. It's a little odd that he spends so well, much time trying to win them over. It's just yes. odd. Yes. He, and, and he at one like, point said, even weirdly, he said Maggie Haberman was his psychologist. It's just weird. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Well, furthermore, I know for a fact that uh, there's a very prominent conservative journalist I know, and I'm not going to say their name because they don't want this getting out there, but uh, a very prominent one I'm close with who was very friendly to Trump and has for the last three and a half years uh, been basically blacklisted at Mar-a-Lago, and they don't know why. And as their producer said to me the other day, it's just shocking because every time we want to get an interview, we're told no, but there's Maggie Haberman and Jonathan Swan marching up there, and we know what they're going to do to Trump. We know how they're going to twist things. It's not just Kristen Welker. Kristen Welker, I thought, actually was the most obvious. But Maggie Haberman and uh, Jonathan Swan, you know, they're skilled deception artists, and Trump keeps falling for it eight years on. Yeah, and I guess that goes back to my point, too, though. At the end of the day, I don't know if I'm at— Look, Brandon, I'm at the point—I said on this call with these folks that are very smart, smarter than me. I said, I'm, I think I'm coming to the point where I'm practically an operational nihilist and a theoretical, and a theoretical Straussian. I mean, I want to think these things matter. I argue for them day in and day out that they yeah, should. I, I try to provide the arguments— but, you know, know, you see every all the goings on in this country, and people yeah. just don't seem to care. They don't care. Right. They don't care. And i got to tell you, Seth, real quick, uh, the idea that his comments on abortion would be completely make no difference to Republican voters. I, and, and I think that he's right when he says it's a politically expedient argument. That's what he's saying, is that it's politically expedient. If I want to win the general election, I've got to be competitive with women, and that means not only do I have to put a woman as vice president, but it means I've got to also play to their issues. And the one issue women care about is abortion, and Republicans are historically, in his eyes, on the wrong side of that issue, so I'm going to become pro-abortion, or at least abortion-friendly. And the problem with that is that he might be right, and why I say that's a problem is because then that means our country's gone. Well, that's that right. Means that there's a bigger problem. That's here. right. If he is right and he is playing to that, it undermines the entire pro-life movement within the Republican Party, about which I think 85% of the Republican Party is and should be. It is also what Ronald Reagan used to obtain or attract Democrats, Reagan Democrats, Catholic voters, particularly in places like Macomb, Michigan. So it will say something very odd about our country if that is the route it goes. Um, Let me take a commercial break. Let's let's move on to some foreign policy, too, and see how many people we can also upset. (laughs) Brandon Weikert is my guest. W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. He is a senior editor at 1945.com, author of uh, several uh, critically important books, uh, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He and I will be right back. Welcome back 
to The Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is my guest, author, among other books, The Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy. On September 11th, a week ago, the United States officially uh, allowed the release of $6 billion to Iran in a sale to in a, in a uh, sale for hostages, in a trade for host, American hostages that Iran was holding, Brandon. That was on 9-11's anniversary. Of course. As Joe Biden was giving a speech saying we will never forget and never leave America defenseless. Well, he did forget. Us. Yes, of course he did. Um, <laughs> it seems to me $6 billion where Antonin Blinken was saying it will only be used for humanitarian aid. Raisi, President Raisi of Iran, you don't even have to go to the fungible argument. Raisi of Iran said, we'll use the money any way we deem fit. You don't That's even right. have to say it's fungible. He, Raisi practically guaranteed that they will use right. the money. Uh, dissidents in Iran are crushed. Um, and I wonder if we just helped create an even larger market for hostage taking. I think that's what we did. We created a market for hostage taking. You take a hostage, well, we will pay we will get you billions of dollars. Absolutely, but more importantly for the near term, I mean that's terrible too, but that money, what is it going to be used for? Yeah. Well, it's going to be used to fund not just terrorism, but it's going to be used to fund large-scale unconventional military operations directed against not just the United States, but its partners in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, and Israel specifically. Furthermore, it's going to be used to strengthen Iran's position relative to those other two powers in the region and to therefore allow for their uh, neo-colonial buddies in China and Russia to have greater influence and sway over this very important resource-rich region, and they're going to all together be working to push the Americans out, which we are already hanging by a thread and have been for 20 years in the region. Um, and so that $6.2 billion that we gave them um, is just sort of a down payment on Iran's new empire, which, as you know, in my book, The Shadow War, I outline how all these kinds of payments and all these negotiations, uh, you know, what they're actually doing, and that's being used to create a new Iranian empire backed by China and Russia against our interests. And one other thing, Seth, um, I don't know if you saw recently, but what was his name, Malloy or Malley? Uh, the, yeah, uh, Mallory. The, yeah. the Biden administration right. uh, envoy right. turns out was basically a, <laughs> a plant yeah. by the Iranians. Yeah. Um, so they removed him. Now, I have it on good authority. It was a um, kind of a shadow war within the administration between a guy named Brett McGurk who is a pretty hawkish um, uh, Iran expert or Middle East expert for the National Security Council. Um, and I, my understanding is that he or somebody that is in league with him basically leaked this information about uh, this, this, this pro-Iranian envoy we had to get him pushed out because now, now McGurk is running the whole portfolio. And the Tehran Times today released a previously unknown recording of McGurk in a meeting with a top Iranian diplomat at the U.N. It was supposed to be an off-the-record meeting, but somebody secretly recorded it, and McGurk was outlining basically how, um, thanks to him running the Iran shop in the Biden administration, the JCPOA, the nuclear deal that Obama signed and Trump killed, that Biden wants to resurrect. McGurk is telling this Iranian diplomat, don't have faith in it because I'm going to make sure it's dead. And so McGurk is the one guy in the Biden administration who's 
pulling some pretty interesting maneuvers to try to stop the crazies in the Biden administration from going into this JCPOA Part 2 deal that would basically give the Iranians a pathway to the nuclear bomb. The problem is McGurk is a lone voice in the wilderness, and now he's being outed, and I don't think he's going to be long for that administration. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it does, and it's, it is to say nothing of Iran's doings with Russia in regard to Ukraine as well, right? I All mean, the drones, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, Iran is selling Russia the weapons it needs. I mean, there's nothing yeah, about Iran Korea. that is our friend. In fact, we're fighting against them already in several proxy wars. Yes, let yes. Me, let, me, fact, let me read yeah, you this ahead. as we go to break. I'll let you respond any way you want on the way back, okay? This is from a current uh, piece in National Review. Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran are forming an unholy alliance bent on upending the U.S.-led international order. Rather than a relatively loose grouping predicated on a shared enmity toward the West and its foremost superpower, America's antagonists are working together to further their strategic interests and displace the U.S.-led international order. A meeting this week between Russian President Vladimir Putin and North Korean Supreme Leader Kim Jong-un demonstrates as much at the summit— Kim proclaimed full and unconditional support for Putin and his war on Ukraine, edging close to a deal that would see North Korea supply Russia with ammunition to be used in this war. Let's pick up on this unholy alliance when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon Weikert, my guest. Follow him on Twitter at We the Brandon, author of several important books, including Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. Unholy alliance, uh, Brandon, that's united like um, I think never before when you conclude it's Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran. This is a disparate group that is all united together, all aimed against us and our allies. It seems pretty dire to me. Oh, it is. And now this National Review piece, I'm glad that it's finally out. But, you know, I wrote about this three years ago. I was warning about this well before this National Review piece. But, of course, nobody listens to me because I was a dirty Trump supporter. Um, So, you know, it is what it is. But this this piece is right. Um, I will say, though, I don't think they're right to say that. what, What I would quibble with is that I think actually the one uniting factor, the enduring factor, is actually the Mm anti-Americanism, that these these regimes actually don't have a lot in common, particularly Russia and China, save for a shared hatred Mm -hmm. and opposition to the American-led world order. Mm -hmm. And that is the thing that's going to be the fuel for their fire, Mm -hmm. is that they're going to – because we've seen like uh, about three or four uh, four or five years ago, the Russians were helping the Israelis target Iranian troops – in the shared bases the Russians had in Syria because they were trying to play nice with Israel and trying to also play nice with America by ostensibly uh, helping us target the Iranians in Syria. Of course, that ended when Trump left because Biden came in. But the point is is that this the, the shared enmity of America is the driver. This, these are not communists working together. China's communist. You could say North Korea is communist. But these are not ideological, uh, you know, unity. It's not like the so- Soviet uh, Sino alliance in the Cold War where communism united them. This is nationalism, this is imperialism, and this is anti Americanism. Um, and the one thing I would say is if we had a better leader, even Trump proved he could do this, yep. we can pick off some of those minor players like North Korea. Right. North Korea wants a deal from us 
Trump got a deal. He cooled things down. The reason Kim is doing what he's doing is because he thinks Biden is completely opposed to him and won't give him the time of day. The real core, though, is Russia and China. And we are we have spent 40 years, 50 years empowering China with these ridiculous trade deals. And at the same time, the last 30 years since the end of the Cold War, pushing Russia into China's arms because we of, of NATO expansion. And that is the key thing here. And the, the things that we need to do to stop this, ending trade with China and stopping NATO expansion, our current crop of elites are preternaturally incapable of doing. Well, you know, you make an interesting point about the ideologies that sustain these regimes uh, in North Korea and China, it being one thing in Iran, a totally different thing in Russia. Who Completely knows? Completely different, yeah. You know, it, it does substantiate the thesis of the red green axis uh, on the yep. one hand, but yep. it also has this unique feature of poising America to have an ideological fight against all these ideologies as well. Uh, and we have not prepared ourselves for any of it. We have never ideologically uh, confounded or destroyed communism. I would say there are more communists in America now than there were yeah. during the McCarthy era or in 1989, for that matter. We have yeah. not thoroughly discredited it at all. It's alive and beating well in the halls of Congress as well as throughout the rest of the United yeah. States. Uh, when it comes yeah. to Islamism or political Islam, whatever you want to call Ilan it. Omar. It, it, exactly. But whatever you want to call <laughs> what sustains the Iranian regime at this point or or the terrorist uh, Islamic terrorist states, we have never ideologically defeated them. We have bought yeah. into their gripes against the United States. Absolutely. And we, well, we, we empowered the Taliban yes. and we empowered yes. the Iranians with Correct. the steel. Correct. And and whatever it is you want to say about Putin, we don't seem to know how to handle him or what to do with him or what his regime is sustained by, some form of odd, possibly fumes of communism wedded to a new kind of nationalism. But whatever yeah. it is, yeah. we're, we're just not ideologically prepared, as we were well, to win the Cold War. Well, we're not ideologically prepared because the country is more divided than it's ever been. Correct. Because on one side, you have crypto-communists. And on the other side, you have whatever you want to call the right. I mean, I, I don't I don't know, because based on our previous discussion earlier in this hour, you know, I, I don't know how I would describe the right. I don't think it's conservative anymore. I don't know what it is anymore. But, um, you know, it's definitely not communist, thank God. But I do think that the left today is actually more communist and more friendly to the communist cause than it was when even the Communist Party USA was running right. around and Whitaker Chambers right. reporting us right. about it. right. You know, they, I mean, they're actually in the halls of power yes, now. Yes, correct. You know, this is a scary thing right yes, now because yes. how can we – and, and you know, the, the, the formulation, the ideological formulation Biden and the elites in D.C. are trying to push is this democracy versus autocracy thing. Yeah. But they are pretty autocratic in the Biden administration, labeling anybody who disagrees with them as domestic extremists or terrorists and using the power of the security state to go after anybody who says anything that they don't like. That is, to me, autocratic. And so this whole sort of the attempt by Biden to make this democracy be autocracy, well, he better look in the mirror because um, there's some dangerous bits of autocracy that his administration is, is championing as it relates to his Republican rivals. I, I, I think that's right. And, and, and one of the things, I mean, I think— I mean, I think Donald Trump could be at his strongest on this issue, on foreign policy, quite ironically, frankly. Ironically, because he wasn't I, yes, a foreign policy I, guy. Ironically, yes. And weirdly, as you rightly point out, and to my dismay, 
too much of our party is less and less increasingly less interested in this issue. But I'm hoping between your writings and these interviews and the article I was pointing out to you today, yeah. I'm hoping, hoping there's a wake-up call because it's going to be uncomfortable if we wait too much longer in a, in a way oh. that will make it too late. It's going to be the nightmare scenario in World War II among American strategists was back in 1942, 1943. The fear was that the Nazis and the Japanese were going to basically surround the the United States geographically with forces. Now, thankfully, they were never able to do that because we were able to punch back. But right now it looks like instead of Nazis and Japanese imperialists, it's Russians and Chinese communists with their buddies in Venezuela and in Iran and in Syria and in North Korea doing what we used to fear the, the, the Axis powers are going to do. And the difference is we're not firing a shot and we're not doing anything because our leadership is so blinkered, they can't figure out whether Russia's an enemy, they can't figure out if they want to do business with China, and they're all obsessed with hating and going after their domestic foes with much more ferocity than they are their foreign foes. You want a good title for your next piece? Sure. Blinkered, Biden, and Blinken. <laughs> I might feel that from yeah, you. Yeah, hey, I'm offering it. In, in, uh, in, I'll, in, I'll in daylight, you, in broad daylight, I am offering it up to you. <laughs> Blinkered, Biden, and Blinken. Brandon, you're great. Thanks, brother. Thank I you. love catching up with you. I hope Same you stay here. well. All right. God bless. Right, Until next See week. See you next week. You betcha. I'm Seth Liebson, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Y-Refi. Y-Refi is headquartered here locally with a great investment in a secure and collateral collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate, up to 10.25% fixed rate of return, 10.25% fixed rate of return. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like. With no surprises, you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure and collateralized portfolio. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24. That's 888-YREFI-24. I know Brandon and I always get criticism whenever we talk domestic politics, but you know we'll see. We'll we'll just see. Uh, there, you know he's 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 expressing um, he's expressing uh, views that um, that that uh, that have taken a long trajectory. I mean that he was early in on he was early. It's totally true. He was early on the Trump bandwagon in 2015 and ardent supporter of him in his re-election in 2020 and um, feels, I suppose, that uh, things aren't as strong then as strong now as they should have as they were then. And um, and we'll see. I disagree with Brandon. I, I and maybe I'll be wrong. I, I don't see how he is not the nominee at this point. Uh, I don't see the polling differentials that Brandon sees. But um, between the two of us and anything you think, one of us, <laughs> one of us will end up being right. There's a lot of problems, though, going on. We mentioned some of the international, of course, the domestic, uh, which we spent a lot of time on today as well. And, you know, the crazy has not ceased. That's the thing. Huckabee Sanders was right. This is normal v. crazy time. 
and the crazy has not ceased. I saw a proposal from a friend of mine that government is now considering using hallucinogens, hallucinogenics, to treat people with substance abuse disorder or addiction. And I think of a line from Leo Strauss's, he said, in Natural Right in History, we are in the position of beings who are sane and sober when engaged in trivial business and who gamble like madmen when confronted with serious issues. It is retail sanity and wholesale madness. That is a great description of the time we live in. People peddling ideas and concepts with all kinds of pseudo-sophisticated analysis and reasoning that sound sane or sound sober, but when you look at, are little more than wholesale madness. I'm Seth Liebson. Until tomorrow, David, thank you. Bill, thank you. Everyone, thank you. God bless and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.